chapter 15, we are continuing in our series titled Lost and Found. We are unpacking God's truth for our lives in the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. Jesus used this parable to explain to the Pharisees and scribes why he welcomed and ate with the tax collectors and sinners. The shepherd searched for the sheep because the sheep was lost. The woman searched for the coin because the coin was lost. Jesus welcomed and ate with the tax collectors and sinners because the tax collectors and sinners were lost in their sin and separation from God. Jesus also used this parable to give us a picture of how awesome, how gracious, how loving, how great is our God. We have studied through the lost sheep and the lost coin, and we come this morning to the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. I believe you could call this parable double trouble, the parable of the shameful sons or the lost brothers. I think an accurate title for this parable could also be the parable of the loving, merciful Father. This parable is probably the most well-known and loved of all the parables of Jesus that we find in the scriptures. Bible scholars refer to this parable as the pearl of all the parables. Charles Dickens, the famous writer, referred to this parable as the finest short story ever written. Leon Morris, the late Bible scholar, and author said, the human heart responds to the message of God's forgiving love for sinners so plainly set forth. There is, without a doubt, uh, many, if not all followers of Jesus Christ who would say this is uh, their favorite parable in the scriptures. Uh, we uh, rejoice in the opportunity once again this morning to uh, look fresh and new at this amazing parable of the lost, wayward, prodigal son. So let's set the context for this passage so that we can understand and apply God's truth for us in this passage. If we're going to get the context, as we've shared over the past couple of weeks, look at verses 1 and 2, because Jesus set the context for us in verses 1 and 2, and he wrote, all the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him, and the Pharisees and scribes were complaining, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus wanted to expose the sinful, prideful, self-righteous attitudes of the Pharisees and scribes, which was most clearly seen in the fact that they were complaining about how he welcomed and ate with the tax collectors and sinners. You see, the Pharisees and scribes thought they were better than the tax collectors and sinners. The Pharisees and scribes thought they were already righteous by their many good works. The Pharisees and scribes didn't think that they needed repentance. Jesus knew otherwise, and he rebuked the Pharisees and scribes with this parable. A quick note for you and for me. Let's take a quick time out just to focus in on this one point. This is a great reminder for you and me this morning as we get prepared to look into this parable of the words that Paul shared to us. And he shared, make sure that you don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think. See, the Pharisees and scribes thought of themselves more highly than they 
should have thought about themselves. And Paul encouraged us not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. He said, instead, think sensibly about yourself. Think about yourself with sober judgment according to the measure of faith that God has distributed to you. You see, as Christ followers, we're reminded once again this morning that the only thing that we can boast in is the Lord God Almighty. Amen? We are servants of King Jesus, and life is about him, not us. And we're going to see a beautiful picture here uh, of a reminder of this point as we look at this parable. So hopefully you've made your way to Luke chapter 15. I'm going to begin reading in verse 11, and we're, we're going to read this uh, all the way through. Luke wrote these words. He also said, he being Jesus, also said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat the fill from the pods the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food and here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up, go to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it. Let's celebrate with a feast because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now the older son was in the field. As he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. Your brother is here, he's told him, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Then he became angry. And didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, look, I've been slaving many years for you and I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Son, he said to him, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Almighty God, will you, by your Holy Spirit in us, take this word and will you make it come alive to us this morning? Will you speak to us? Will you convict us? Will you challenge us? Would you change us? to be more like Jesus, through the teaching of your word. For it is in Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
and amen. So let's look in this parable, just a couple of uh, points as we get started, and then we'll move back at the beginning and start making our way uh, verse by verse through this amazing parable. First, uh, in the parable, the younger wayward prodigal son represents the tax collectors and sinners. The older brother, uh, the older son represents the Pharisees and the scribes. The father represents God, our good, good father. This parable is full of God's rich truth for us to enjoy and apply in our lives today. And so let's go back to verse 11. He, Jesus, also said, a man had two sons. I think it's important for us to understand that Jesus put the spotlight on both sons in this parable. Both sons' thoughts and actions were sinful and selfish. Both sons needed help, needed repentance. Both sons needed God. And Jesus makes this clear to us from beginning to end with this parable. He continued in verse 12. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. So the younger of them said to his father, the younger son, Bible scholars uh, estimate that this younger son was in his late teens or 20s. The younger son's sin was startling from the start of this parable. The younger son said, Father, give me. Father, give me. Give me is an imperative. That means it's a command. It's a demand from the son to the father. And Father, give me means give me. It literally means, give me literally means put what I want from you in my hands. Put what I want from you in my hands. This demand from the son to the father to give him his share of his estate was another way of the son, the prodigal son, the wayward younger son saying to his father, hey dad, I wish you were dead, which would have certainly hurt his father. The younger son clearly did not honor his father, which was an obvious violation of the fifth commandment uh, from the Old Testament. The younger son wanted to get away from his father. The younger son didn't want to be around his father anymore. The younger son wanted to get out from under his father's authority. The younger son wanted to do his own thing. He wanted to go his own way. He wanted to be his own man. The younger son was consumed with self. He said, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. He was consumed with self. You know, things haven't changed all that much. We still live in a me, me, me world, in a give me world. As followers of Christ, we must be careful so that we don't contract the me, me, me disease, so that we don't get caught up in the attitude of give me, give me, hey, give me, give me, give me. Now, Old Testament law tells us that the younger son's share of the estate would have been half of the older son's share of the estate. So the younger son would have received a third of his father's estate and wealth, and the older son would have received two-thirds of the father's 
uh, estate and wealth. In most Jewish families, a request like this one, matter of fact, a demand like this one, a command like this one from a son to a father would have resulted in rebuke and shame from the father to the son. But Jesus here, look at this, said, so he distributed the assets to them. The father gave his son what he wanted. The father gave his son his share of the estate. The Pharisees and scribes at this point would have been outraged at the demand and disrespect of the son towards the father. The Pharisees and scribes would have also been shocked by the response of the father to the son. And so Jesus continues, and without question, he knows he has them, hook, line, and sinker. He knows he's got their attention. And he continues, and he says, not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. So let's look at this. Not many days later, we understand and realize that the younger son, the wayward son's sin was on display for all to see. It was out in the open for all to see. Not many days later means it took the younger son a few days to liquidate the assets. It took a few uh, days for the son, the younger son, to be able to sell all that he had. He said, not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had. What does that mean? It means this, that the younger son sold his share of the estate that he received from his father because the younger son's desire was to get as much cash as possible to take with him on his trip. He wanted as much uh, liquid money that he could take with him on his trip. He didn't want uh, and could not take land with him to the foreign country. He couldn't take possessions with them to foreign country. That would have been impossible or too much work for him. No, he wanted to liquidate everything he had so he could take as much cash with him as possible to do what he wanted to do. The person who purchased this share, the younger son's share of the estate, would have to wait, just like the older brother, for the father to pass away before that individual who purchased the younger brother's share could take possession and ownership of his share of the estate. As we see in verse 31, the father told his older son, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. So father was saying to the older son, hey, listen, all that I have is yours. And once I'm gone, in other words, once I'm gone, it'll all be yours. And so we see that he would have to wait Yet the younger son didn't have to wait. He was impatient. He was impetuous. He got what he wanted. He sold it all, got as much cash as he could get. And then the younger son gathered all together he had and traveled to a distant country. The younger son left. He went to a Gentile country. He left and traveled and went away from family, went away from his friends, went away from all accountability. Now, the truth of the matter here is that we know that this son had already distanced himself from his father, from his family, from his upbringing due to the sinfulness of his own heart. The younger son's physical departure 
was preceded and prompted by his spiritual departure, by the sin in his life. And we know as well today, we don't have to go very far before we can get caught up and lost in sin and selfishness ourselves. And we have to constantly guard against this as brothers and sisters in Jesus. And so he said he traveled. He traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate. Squandered is a great word. Say that with me. Squandered. It's a great word. He squandered his estate. What does it mean? It means he threw it away. That means he wasted it. It means he spent it recklessly and foolishly. He spent, he threw away, he wasted all of the money he received for his sale of his estate. And then he says he squandered it in what? In foolish living. So the younger wayward prodigal son threw away, he wasted all of his money in foolish, riotous, sinful living, which among other things included, according to the report from the older brother who had already done his research or he was just going ahead and he assumed this was the case, but it also included spending his money on prostitutes. And so we see this younger son, he'd gone to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. Spent it all. Threw it all away in foolish living. It's like the old song that Frank Sinatra used to sing. The younger son did it his way. He did it his way. And listen, sin is doing life our way instead of God's way. And much like we see in the testimony of the younger son, it doesn't work out for us very well when we do that. It doesn't work out for us just like it didn't work out for this younger son. So let's continue. He says in verse 14, after he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country and he had nothing. So after he spent everything means he spent all the money he had. It's interesting to note that the younger son was able to find plenty of friends and ways to spend all his money quickly in the foreign land. It doesn't take long for sin to attract others who want to get involved in that same similar sin. And so after he had spent everything, he spent all the money that he had, a severe famine struck that country. Famine means to fall short. It means a lack. It means to be in need. Famine means a a scarcity. It means to be hungry or starve. Notice that Jesus said that it was a severe famine. Now, a famine is bad enough as it is, but this was a severe famine, which means it was even worse. I mean, this was even worse, a severe famine. Now, you know, uh, based on your understanding of the Word of God, that famine uh, is common in the Scriptures, and God has used in his scriptures, as we see in the account of God's word, we, he has used famines uh, in his word uh, in his purposes for his people and even at times for good for his people. Think back in Genesis, Joseph, God empowered Joseph 
to interpret Pharaoh's dream. Pharaoh's dream was a dream about a warning from God that there was going to be seven years of severe famine that was going to come to Egypt and it was going to devastate the land. And Joseph was able to interpret the dream for Pharaoh, and God used that famine in particular in his work in Joseph's life to promote Joseph to prominence in Pharaoh's court, to use Joseph to provide food for all of those in Egypt and the surrounding nations. But also, we know that God used that famine as part of his plan to reunite Joseph with his father, brothers, and family who had sold him into slavery years before. And so we see in this parable, God used this famine, this severe famine, in his work to convict the younger wayward son of his sin so that the younger son would repent and return to his father. And so we continue and see after he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country And he had nothing, which means he had nothing. He had nothing. Notice, once the younger son's money was gone, so were his friends. Once his money was gone, so were his friends. He had nothing. I love what a pastor has said years before. The younger son is experiencing the reality, the truth of this statement. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. And sin will cost you more than you want to pay. And this prodigal son was experiencing the reality of his sin. He was experiencing the reality of his sinful choices. So let's look at a few application points for us as we make our way through this parable. As we make our way through this parable over the next few weeks, we're going to look at some application points along the way that will help us to apply God's truth in our lives today uh, and this week. And we see some application points already right here uh, for us that we can apply in our lives today uh, and this week, that we can apply personally, but we can also use publicly in our ministry to those God's placed around us as we minister to the congregations that God has given to us today and this week. The first application point we see is simply this. We never win living in sin. We never win living in sin. You know this as well as I know this. This is a constant throughout God's word, Old Testament and New Testament, cover to cover. I never live, I never win living in sin, and you never win living in sin. The example of this prodigal son shows us once again the devastation of sin. The prodigal sin isolated him from the father who loved him. The prodigal sin separated him, pulled him away from his loving father, pulled him away from the father who loved him dearly. I love what one Bible scholar said. He said this, the younger son ran out of money and ran into a famine. He ran out of money and ran into a famine. And truth of the matter is, according to the word of God, we know that sin always leads us to a famine spiritually. Sin will always lead us 
into a famine spiritually. What do I mean by that? I mean simply this. Sin never provides the fulfillment and joy it promises. Sin never, ever provides the fulfillment, the joy, the answers that it promises. Hebrews 11 talks to us about the fleeting pleasures of sin. Scripture tells us, certainly, we know this as well from our own personal testimony, sin is fun at first, but the fun doesn't last long at all. And then it's gone. And we know what is left in its wake is that sin breaks our fellowship with God. Sin steals the joy we have with God. Sin injures our witness for God. And sin separates us from God, his word, and his people. Sin pulls us away from God, from his word, from his people, which is why Satan relentlessly over and over and over and over again tempts us to sin, tempts us to turn away from God, lures and entices us to walk away from God. He lures us and tries to entice us to indulge our sinful desires, to give in to our sinful flesh and the desires that rage inside of us. Though we are saved by God's grace through our faith in Jesus as followers of Jesus, we still battle with our sinful flesh. We still battle with this, this tent of sinful flesh, uh, as Paul shared with us. And we know this, the scriptures encourage us, as Peter told us, to abstain from the sinful desires that wage war against our soul. Paul encouraged and told us to walk by the Spirit so that you will certainly not carry out the desires of your sinful flesh. We understand and realize that there's a battle, there's a tug of war that goes on within each of us on a day-by-day -day basis. And our enemy is constantly trying to lure us away in sin. He's constantly trying to get us to indulge our sinful nature just like the younger son did. He's constantly trying to tell us that we would be better off doing this or we'd be better off doing that or you don't really need the Lord in this or you don't really need to go to church or you don't really need this all designed to steal, kill, and destroy us. And we can rejoice once again this morning that we are victors over sin, Satan, and death in Jesus. Amen? We're victors. We have the victory in Christ Jesus. We have a spirit living within us. And his Holy Spirit will encourage us to say no to sin and to continue to say yes to the Savior. But as we look at this testimony, as we begin making our way through this parable, we immediately see through the testimony at the beginning of this parable of the younger son that we never win living against him. We'll see at the end of this parable the testimony of the older brother that we never win living in sin once again. It's all through this parable. And then secondly, we see a, a second point for you and I to apply today, this week, just another reminder for us is humility is a must for us. Humility is a must for us. In the example of this prodigal son, we see the danger of pride. We see this younger son's pride 
leading him down a dark pathway. As Solomon told us, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. This younger son was living a me-first life. He wanted what he wanted, when he wanted, the way he wanted, so he could do what he wanted, with what he wanted, when he wanted, how he wanted. He was all about self. And this is a reminder to you and me as followers of Jesus that humility is a must for us. All throughout the scripture, God shares with us about the danger of pride. And we see it coming full force here in this passage. We also know that when we give in to our pride, when we begin to walk in the flesh and not the spirit, when we think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, when we start having those prideful thoughts and they start directing our steps, we see here in this passage that our God will get our attention. He will get our attention. And at times, it's not all that pleasant for us when he gets our attention, but praise God, he does. And we see this right here in this passage. Look at verse 15. Then he, the prodigal son, went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. Okay, so we see here, then the prodigal son went to work. That means he hired himself out. That means, literally, it means he joined or glued himself to a citizen of that foreign country where he was living out of desperation. Bible scholars tell us in households during this time that there were three levels of servants in a typical house. Three levels of servants. The top level was a servant, and if you were at that top level of a servant head, you were basically almost treated as a member of the family. You didn't have to do a lot of the difficult work. You were like a family member, ate with the family, in all respects, were, were part of the family. That third level of servant was the lowest level. That was the hired worker level. That was the position that did the dirty work. That was the position that did everything that no one else wanted to do. The difficult, the dirty work. And the prodigal son hired himself into that level of servanthood. He was that lowest of the lowest of the low servants in this man's house. And he says the citizen sent him out to feed his pigs. This was, in this parable, this was a Jew who was working for a Gentile feeding the pigs. You talk about pride coming before a fall. You see, to the Jews, pigs were detestable. Back according to Old Testament law, God had told Israel that pigs were unclean animals. They had divided hooves, but they didn't chew the cud. And God had required Israel to abide by the dietary food laws, the unclean and clean food laws in the Old Testament as a symbol of their devotion to him and as a reminder to them that they were different from the other nations because they were God's chosen people. And it was also a reminder to them that they were to live pure, clean, and holy lives sold out to God. This job would have been detestable 
to a Jew. Not to mention disgusting and dirty, but this prodigal son, remember, was desperate. He was desperate. And so, amazingly, this situation got worse, which is what sin does. You see, sin always takes us further and further and further away from God. Sin always hurts us, it never helps us. Sin always burdens us, it never blesses us. Sin always makes things worse, it never makes things better. Sin just continues to take us further and further and further away from God. We see it here in this passage. We see in Old Testament our, our good friend Jonah, as he, his sin just kept taking him further and further and further until he was down in the belly of a great fish. We see this is happening here. It just, keep, it just kept taking this prodigal down. He says in verse 16, he longed to eat his fill from the pods the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. This situation was so bad, and the prodigal son was so hungry, he actually longed to eat pig food. He longed to line his stomach pigs were eating. And yet, no one would give him anything. He couldn't even get that. You see, no one would give him anything. Remember, he was a foreign citizen living in a foreign country in a severe famine. The prodigal had no friends, no food, no funds prodigal was as low as low could go. The prodigal son here is experiencing, and we see in this picture, in this particular point in this parable, we see the fulfillment of Galatians 6, 7. Don't be misled. God is not mocked. Whatever a person sows, he will also reap. You see, the prodigal son sowed according to his sinful flesh. And he was now reaping the devastation of his sinful sowing, his sinful flesh. The old saying is true, as we see once again here with this parable. Be humble or you will stumble. Be humble or you will stumble. You know, it's interesting, as we know, is that Jesus was sharing with these tax collector sinners. We, we understand and realize that his disciples were nearby. Peter was nearby, no doubt. Peter was listening. Peter was watching. Peter was observing. And Peter has spoken to us about the importance of humility throughout his writings in the New Testament. In particular, 1 Peter 5 in verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time so that he may lift you up at the right time. You see, when we as followers of Jesus Christ, this is the point for us to take once again with us, to apply personally and to share with those that God places in our path this week. Humility is a must for us as we humble ourselves before the Father, as we bring ourselves low before God, as we acknowledge he is God, we're not. As we acknowledge he's in charge, not us. As we acknowledge he knows best, not us. As we acknowledge we can't, but he can. As we bring ourselves low before the Father, day in and day out. We know that our Father God, He sees us and He lifts us up at the proper time. He lifts us up at the right time and He empowers us to live 
his way, in his strength for his glory. And so we see the importance of humility. This young son is getting a very pointed lesson in humility in this parable, which, oh, by the way, was the very thing that the Pharisees and scribes lacked. It was the very thing that they desperately needed. And so we see in this parable and we see in the truth of God's word, in particular, 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter encouraged us to humble ourselves, that humility is a must for us. Then he continued sharing with us some benefits of humility. Let me just share a few benefits of humility with us this morning. Number one, humility helps us to pray. He continued and said in verse 7 of 1 Peter chapter 5, casting all your cares on the Lord because he cares for you. Humility reminds us that God is in charge, not us. Humility reminds us that God can, that we can't. Humility reminds us that life is about God, not us. Humility reminds us that God wants us to pray to him. Humility reminds us, as the psalmist said, his eyes are on us and his ears are open to our cries for help. Humility, therefore, reminds us to pray today, every day, all through the day. You see, humility reminds us that whatever comes our way, we're not going to be able to tackle it in our strength, in our ability, in our wisdom, but yet we know we can in Christ. And so humility reminds us as we bow before the Father, as He raises us up, as we walk by the power of the Holy Spirit of God, we're going to stay in constant communication with the God. We're going to cast our cares on God. We're going to cast our fears on the Lord. We're going to cast our concerns on the Lord because we know He is able and we can do all things through His strength and power. Humility reminds us to pray. Humility helps us to stay alert. He says in verse 8, he says, be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. You see, the roaring lion had devoured this young prodigal wayward son. He had gotten a hold of him in his clutches, and he had taken him away into the depths of sin. And he dropped him off in the pig pen by himself. And humility reminds us to stay alert spiritually. Humility reminds us to keep our eyes on God, to be reliant and dependent upon God. Humility reminds us that spiritual warfare is real. Humility reminds us that we're to be strong in the Lord and in His vast strength. Humility reminds us that we can pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests, and we need to keep on praying for all the saints. Humility reminds us to put on the full armor of God so that we can take our stand against our enemy's schemes and tactics. You see, humility reminds us to stay alert, to stay aware, because we have an enemy who is a liar, who is a tempter, and he is constantly coming against us with his lies to try to lure us away from God, to try to destroy Discourage us to try to defeat us, to try to burden us. But praise God, we are greater because greater is He who is in us than He who is in the world. And we have the Word of God that is our source of truth. We have the Word of God that is our source of strength. And when we put our focus on this Word and when we seek the Father, humility reminds us to seek the Father. We look into His Word and we find truth for our lives and we're able to walk in the victory that is ours in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. And so when we see all the distractions that are around us, and I would dare say we have more distractions today than we've ever had. 
What is our response? Our response must be to humble ourselves. same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. Humility reminds us not only to stay alert spiritually, but to resist the temptations when they come our way. And we're able to resist the temptations to stand firm in our faith in Jesus by the power of Jesus at work in us. We're able to resist temptation by the encouragement that we give to and receive from one another, our brothers and sisters in Jesus. Praise God, we are not alone in Jesus. Amen? Say that with me out loud. Praise God, we are not alone in Jesus. This is a truth for you and for me every day, all through our days. We're never alone. No matter if everyone else has left us, and if it seems like we're all by ourselves in that pigsty, if it seems like we're all by ourselves in that pig pen, understand and realize you're not alone. You're not alone. You see, the beauty of this passage is the prodigal thought he was all alone. He thought he had no one. He thought he had nothing, but he wasn't alone. You see, Almighty God was at work in him. The Holy Spirit of God was convicting this young man. And he was drawing him to himself. And we can rejoice today as followers of Jesus that God is with us that God's Holy Spirit is in us, that God's word is before us and God's people are around us. We have our brothers and sisters in Jesus around us to encourage and help us and so that we can encourage and help one another to walk humbly in the victory that is ours in Jesus. Because you see, we have victory in Jesus. We have victory in Jesus. I have victory in Jesus. Say that with me. I have victory in Jesus. Again, I have victory in Jesus. And we can walk in that victory as we humble ourselves, knowing that he will lift us up and empower us to live his way and the victory that is ours in Christ Jesus. Let me ask you to bow in prayer. God's at work. His spirit is moving and speaking to us. And I want to encourage you, my brother and sister in Christ Jesus, let me encourage you first to just renew your commitment to the Lord, to repent of any sin that may have gotten in your way this past week or even maybe today. And just, just renew your commitment to humble yourself before the Father. To bring yourself low before Him, knowing that as you do, He will lift you up at the proper time. He'll give your feet a firm 
foundation to stand on. And he will continue guiding and directing you. And the victory is yours in Christ Jesus. The altar is open as it always is to come and kneel and do business with the Father. Let me also just encourage those who are here in person, those who are watching online, if you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord, then why not today, why not here, why not right now? Receive God's gift of salvation by placing your faith in Jesus. Our pastors will be standing here at the front. They'd love to pray with you, pray for you, pray over you if you have a need, a care, a concern. If you want to receive God's gift of salvation in Jesus, they'd love to introduce you to Jesus this morning. Cry out to the Father. Scripture says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart God raised him from the dead, that we're saved. That we're saved. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by faith and trust in him. Say yes to Jesus today. Let's stand and let's respond in obedience to the Father.